This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Her name is Natalia Chaban, and she is the director of performance at Mediacom. There aren't many people who are more knowledgeable about the state of performance marketing than Natalia. If you are even remotely interested in anything to do with performance, then strap yourself in because this one is for you. We talk about everything from the importance of reach versus targeting, uh, how to influence mass audiences, what clients are looking for and the constraints that they're under today. We talk about performance frameworks, insourcing versus outsourcing. We talked about the state of TV today. Um, We talked about the winners and losers through the pandemic. You know, there was a lot of cheap media available over that period of lockdown that we just went through. Some brands took the opportunity to buy that cheap media and now they're reaping the rewards. Others didn't and are now uh, cursing themselves. This is just a really fascinating, wonky conversation with someone who's at the bleeding edge of performance marketing. I'm obviously not able to tell you who their clients are, but just think about the biggest FMCG brands in the world, mobility brands and footwear brands, and you can kind of guess who we're talking about. By the way, this interview is brought to you by the great guys at Account Insight, the B2B programmatic advertising platform for B2B agencies and brands. Stick around to the end of the show where I sit down with Thomas Lint from Account Insight and we discuss Natalia's interview in some depth. There's some really great insights there from Thomas, so make sure you stick around for that. If you are interested in anything to do with performance, then this one is for you. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Natalia Chaban. Natalia Chaban is Digital Director of Performance at Mediacom, Campaign's media agency of the decade. She has over 15 years of experience in advertising technology and innovation. She has a deep understanding of digital media platforms, data platforms, digital media analytics, data warehousing, and emerging digital media technologies. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Natalia Chaban, welcome to Agency Deal Masters. Hello, uh, really excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. We're super excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You've got a, a fascinating history and background. You studied mathematics and statistics at university. What attracted you to the world of media and performance? Well, probably I wasn't good enough mathematician, so I had to find another job. <laughs> Um, but, well, I, I wish I could say uh, that was my decision and I knew what I was doing. But uh, in reality, I knew very little, actually nothing about the industry, about what agency we are doing, uh, what is a media agency. And um, when I started, the industry in Ukraine, in my country, was still um, a very young one. So it wasn't like the common knowledge. So my friend just called me and he was like, you know, there is a cool job, um, TV buyer. You just need to forecast some TV ratings and then manage some TV placements. Uh, And I thought, yeah, that sounds interesting and probably uh, I can do it. Sounds not too complicated. And um, yeah, and I joined OMD uh, Ukraine. It was just established in Ukraine and it was the office of five people. And um, and of course, I ended up doing much more than just forecasting TV, sure. TV ratings. <laughs> really interesting. Your your title now is Digital Director Performance Media and Digital Technology. What does that mean in simple terms? 
Yeah, it really sounds ambiguous. Isn't it? I probably should do some work on my LinkedIn <laughs> uh, profile. Uh, yeah, in simple terms, I'm, I work with uh, Mediacom clients, predominantly with global teams, um, sometimes with regional EMEA teams. And what we do, we do the we help them to define the data strategy. So how to build the data, how to use the data, own data, platform data, etc. Uh, we help them with technology setup. So which tools do we use? How we connect um, to achieve our objectives? And most importantly, uh, we define the execution strat- strategies and tactics. How each market should execute that. And data and technology approach and how we measure effect and how we constantly optimize. So basically that's working with the client to find the, the data technology strategy execution and measurement. That's that's super fascinating. You, you work with uh, a number of leading global brands. Tell us how the CMOs that you're speaking to are making sense of the media landscape at the moment. I mean, there are so many options in front of them to advertise and to share their brand and grow their brand. How are they making sense of the splintering media landscape? And tell us what you're seeing from from the clients that you're working with. Yeah, it's a tricky question because um, my uh, what I see might be different from what individual marketers think about their own decisions. Uh, but I really have been lucky with work with amazing companies, uh, and they are one of the best and innovative advertisers in the industry. I work with PNG, McDonald's, Adidas, Coca Cola, Uber, and a lot of others, and they are truly leaders of the industry. So I think the approach. Uh, how marketers look at the landscape, how they make choices, really evolved over the last five, probably 10 years, because it's no longer only about where to put your money, where to spend and which media channels works better for you, but it's really about deciding and understanding um, the bigger partnerships. So now with the work with Facebook, with Google, with Amazon and others. And it's like a partnership about media advertising, about technology, about data, and it all stands on the strategy. So this is probably something which haven't changed. So the strategy is becoming even more important and the company and marketer understands what is their goal, what do we have, what do we don't have to achieve that goal and how to build those partnerships. And once you have a strategy, this really enables to be very innovative and experimental and uh, try and test more at scale at speed and learn all the zones so they start with strategy they define the key partnerships and if it's a good basis then they can be very fast and very innovative in experimenting in testing in trying different approaches techniques um, tactics etc and and of course what these brands increasingly like as far as data media and partnerships is concerned is the ability to be even more targeted with you know who they're going after and how they're actually spending their money and you know what is coming back as a result of of that spend but the question that i want to put to you is even though we've made all these advance advancements in really tight targeting is that what we should be doing for brand building should we what's more important tight targeting or reach because there's an argument to say that actually there is a place still for broad mass reach as opposed to just targeting the handful of individuals that you really want to target what's your uh, viewpoint there yeah so i i don't really think it's the question about targeting versus reach um so it's rather understanding whom you are reaching 
with what message when and how. So I don't really think that anyone wants to reach less people, right? So it's probably all about how we reduce waste, how we can be more focused. So to me, tight targeting is in the first place the opportunity to learn and to understand how our audience and specifically different part of the audience, different type of consumers, uh, how they uh, communicate with, uh, with the product, how they communicate with our message, what do they prefer, uh, what, what are the difference among these different audience types. So uh, if, if I just summarize that, so it's still about the reach, mm. but it, the narrow targeting helps us to within that reach to probably reach different type of audiences better, probably sometimes with different message or with different media weights, depending on our strategy and to understand your audience better. So it's not a homogenic one, big audience, right? We can split them, but it's not about targeting or each, it's reach but with a narrow target within the reach, when it makes sense, of course. And, and does it make sense to target those individuals that already know the brand and love the brand and already have a deep relationship with them so, so brands can foster loyalty? There's that whole idea that, you know, we want people to come keep coming back and, and, and keep spending money with us over and above targeting kind of everyone in the category and people that are buying other brands as well. What's your opinion there? Yeah, and again, I think it's not it's not either or, right? Because the ultimate uh, objective for most of the brands and probably for every brand is the growth, right? So you want to grow your brand, you want to have a sustainable growth, profitable growth, and of course, it's obvious that you can't grow just just even your current customer base, consumer base. So you do need to reach out. You do need to talk to more people to um, to explore uh, like this growth opportunities and uh, and pockets. But in the same time, so it's um, you also have your current consumers, and then um, you you also spend certain amount of uh, budget and certain amount of time to maintain consumers. Mm. To, to work with them, and it really depends on the uh, on your brand uh, life stage and the industry. What is the involvement of the consumers to the category? What is the loyalty level? So this uh, equation, this um, percentages between position of new consumers and maintaining the current consumers could differ brand by brand. Uh, and it's again, it's all in, it's all about measurement in the end of the day because you uh, understand what drives your growth, what are the components of the growth. And what is the cost of those components? Uh, what's the cost of acquiring new consumer? What's the cost of maintaining current consumer? And how you work with that? So yeah, I know this is probably not the ideal answer. It's not one of one over another, but I think growth requires new consumers. That's 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 uh, mm. for me not a question, but it's all about the balance. How much do you spend to acquire new consumers and how much do you spend? Again, not only money, time, effort, uh, within your strategy to to maintain your current customer base. Mm. Well, the answer is the answer is the answer, whether or not we like it or not, <laughs> if that's the answer. So so let's talk about mental availability because that's the term that every brand, you know, is aspiring to. They want, they want to... When consumers think of their brand, they want to have these rich associations associated with their brand. And, and that's really the, the gold standard. That's where everyone's sort of trying to get to. How do the best brands in the world build mental availability? Yeah. So I think this is really a key question because 
uh, we did have a couple of years um, of short termism than uh, some advertisers, but the industry, we all as, a, a, as an industry, we were probably over focused a little bit on immediate performance, on um, just like short term driving sales. And now the whole industry is turning back to understanding the importance of brand and what you said and the mental availability so it's basically crucial for all activities and for performance specifically so um, it influences how good we are in performance how good we are in um, driving sales and in the end of the day it's also cost efficient right because with a stronger brand, it's cheaper for you to convert. It's cheaper for you to get new new customers or even to convert um, your existing customers. So um, to your question, how uh, how how brand do that? So again, I'm not. I don't think I will um, uh, give you any new bright answers. So it's all good old brand building. So it's all about uh, your value to 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 consumer. What is your message and clear communication and how this message resonates with your consumer and what is the, what is the most important and again it sounds obvious but um, a lot of uh, a lot of brands uh, uh, I think doing these mistakes is like a holistic approach right so we don't differentiate uh, our communication this is my brand communication and this is my performance or sales driving communication and that is my own social media communication now it's all about a holistic approach it's all about what do we deliver to consumer if it even if it's a, like one second short message by me now it still has the brand component it still needs to be very clear um, uh, to the consumer which this comes from this brand regardless on where do we see them in store uh, on the street uh, or just like half a second facebook or instagram carousel uh, app and that brings us on to an important question about measurement especially as it relates to advertising specifically because i guess that's where brands struggle the most, sort of attributing, you know, what they spend on advertising and media to actually sort of what the return is. And especially with the splintering of media that you've just kind of outlined, it's even more difficult now. How how do brands know that it was advertising that had an impact on their growth of their of their brand? Let's let's start with that. How do the best brands know that it was advertising that had an impact? Yeah, this is the question. So here comes the most important and difficult probably question in our industry, or one of the most difficult, and um, one of my favorites. So uh, I can talk about that um, forever. So you should stop <laughs> me at some point. So uh, yeah, so basically uh, measurement, uh, right? So measurement is the basis for everything. So measurement and analytics is like how we make a strategic decision, how we define the strategy how we plan, how we define tactics, how we learn, did we do well or not, and uh, what we can do better and how we can optimize. And this is goes in cycle, right? So it's like a virtual cycle when we go back to strategy plan and then execute again and again. And as you said, it's not the easy one uh, because mostly because um, we can't truly measure like cross channels, cross different platforms and understand uh, every you know, contact across all these activities. But um, what we do with uh, in MediaCom and with our clients, we, we approach it holistically. So we look at the measurement like on each stages of the different decision-making stage. 
have a different method. So we start with more holistic one, and uh, here we have techniques like econometrics. Again, econometrics techniques are not new to the market, mm. right? Uh, like things like MMM and other type of techniques, uh, uh, they are the boss since, I don't know, 20, uh, 30 years. Um, but this is, uh, these are the techniques that help us to understand the incremental impact media uh, uh, delivered. So incremental to the base, and it also can, can show us short-term impact and longer-term impact depending on the mathematical approach and practical modeling or type of mathematical modeling we are using. And what is interesting, again, the econometrics, I think now it, it's in a renaissance. Um, mm. It used to be now a bit forgotten uh, over the more uh, like um, modern and fancy digital techniques. But now it's going back again because of the cookies issues, also because of the issues with measuring across platforms and linking across platforms. So now it's like it's back and more importantly with new technologies we can do it better. So it's not no it's no longer very expensive uh, modeling and measurement which uh, takes six months to uh, to deliver the results. So now we're using artificial intelligence machine learning techniques. We can do modeling faster. We can be more agile. We can go very granular to the tactical level. And that helps us to really understand the impact of media, but then to make the decisions and optimization and simulations on how we should spend and how we should drive growth, depending on the objective, depending on the components of the growth, what is the uh, margin, margin we, we need to do, what is the uh, growth pace we want to get, etc. So that's that's a more holistic one. But then we go to go to like down to more optimizational level. We still have a number of um, good tools and good approaches to do. So we uh, we can use incremental testing then within each platform. So we work with Facebook, we work with Google, but uh, most of the partners uh, provide that, and we can understand how different tactics what was the incremental impact of different tactics versus another. Again, it uses mathematical uh, modeling mm. uh, and, and the actual data. And in general, testing is the big, big measurement and powerful measurement technique. So all type of A-B testing, holdout test, so then we can in real time or more or less in real time understand what works better versus anything else. And I think that testing is uh, still um, underestimated. We, we, we don't use it enough as a measurement technique. And again, with the technologies now, we can do it better. We can test faster. We can do test setup better. We can uh, control testing across different uh, uh, territories much better than we used to do it. It's less time consuming. And that uh, means we can learn faster and then we can um, measure faster. So just to summarize a little bit, so on a different stage, we have a different approaches and different techniques. We look on the kinematics modeling, not only MMM, but all type of econometric modeling, new agile approach to econometric to measure your whole um, marketing and media activities. And it really gives you understanding on how it works and what should you do in the shorter and longer term. And then we go to any specific channel or any specific activity when we want to optimize faster. We do have uh, incremental studies. We do have test and learn to do that. I'm kind of trying to avoid talking about attribution, but probably 
I shouldn't, because attribution, and I now talk about all kinds of attribution, both last touch attribution and old touch attribution, is probably, uh, in my mind, uh, one of the biggest um, hopes in the industry, which uh, probably uh, didn't uh, deliver what uh, what people think of, of it and what people wanted uh, it to deliver. And now with the cookies, um, uh, like um, going out uh, sooner or later, and all the and all, even currently with all the uh, restrictions from Apple and uh, and, and other uh, browsers, so attribution is less and less possible to be done. I would I would put it like that. Mm. So there there are a number of developments to do attribution behind cookies, and there are a number of companies we are working with them and talking to them. Which, uh, they have some interesting idea to that. But at, at this point, I would I would say we don't have a proper attribution product. Uh, and what we are trying to do with our clients and trying to move uh, from last click attribution, last touch attribution, because this is really the this is really the problem, right? Because it misleads, it misleads us, and that we try to use more holistic approaches, like I already mentioned, econometric and testing. What is the future of advertising in the modern world, where like the consumer nowadays, at least in my household? does everything in their power to avoid modern advertising. So as soon as adverts come on TV, we go to the toilet, we get a snack, we, you know, and that's surely the brand is sort of wasting, especially when it comes to TV advertising. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But it seems to me that the modern consumer is doing everything in their power to avoid being consuming adverts. What's the role of advertising today? And what does the future of it look like? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Really, uh, thank you for, for for this question because I have two um, views on that. One is more optimistic, and one another one probably a bit more pessimistic. <laughs> so the optimistic one, and it's really my personal opinion, and maybe even a dream a little bit. Um, so I think that um, we, sh- we we eventually should should come to the stage when it will be all in consumer in people's uh, hands, so they will be able, we will be able to own and control our own data, and the data is uh, is obviously the most valuable treasure. And I hope that the interest will go to the point that actually we will be able to control our own personal data, and probably it will enable us to have this like more open relationships between people and uh, advertisers. So it probably will be kind of a fair trade, my data or my interest or whatever I want to share versus the advertisement I, I, I'm willing to consume or versus the offers I'm willing to, to get from the advertisers. So it's like more like the direct relationship between person and advertiser, but that only possible if the control of the data will be in our hands and people's hands. Hmm. And from technology perspective, it's all um, possible because like technologies like blockchain technologies can enable that. So it's all about how the industry moves to that and if the industry, including regulation, will um, allow that. So I, I, I really hope that will happen. And I think that's the positive part of the future because you can think about your own data like in um, middle ages uh, you, 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 uh, people thought about the land right so they wanted to own the land they are living on they are 
are using this land to uh, to, to, to grow food mm. and they are living this land so they want to be owners of the, of the land so i think it's a very good analogy with the data so data belongs to people and they should be able to own their own data and control and use and trade if they want to so that's a positive one uh they pessimistic one so again we probably can also turn the other way so when the uh, big uh, companies the big uh, the giant technology companies will own the data even more as we do now so basically i hope uh, that won't happen but basically we could become like a feudal lords owning those lands right, right? owning our data not giving people like an opportunity to to use it or giving them very little opportunities like we do have now you can uh, indicate what is my interest right and what type of advertisement i would like to have but it's really really like a small um, <laughs> small level of of freedom right so that that's my view on that so it really could go mm. Either way, and I do hope that it will go to to the um, uh, to the new approach to when when we own the data, we decide as as, a cons- as consumers and as individuals, we decide what we do with the data, and then uh, we will have the new platforms and new uh, opportunities. Then how we communicate with advertisers, how we give them some information about us in a value exchange for them, and it's a very interesting topic. So because you can. Think about, about that and endlessly how it could be executed, how exactly you you communicate with advertisers. But yeah, so I, I, I really I really like thinking about that, and uh, I hope I'll, uh, I'll see how it works in 10, 20, 30 years. I don't know. I'm sure. And 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 what have you learned about the importance of creativity and the creative idea versus the targeting? Because there's this debate happening at the moment between you know, the big creative idea versus, you know, performance and being really focused on a specific message to a very highly targeted audience. What have you learned over the years about the impact of creativity, maybe on a broader audience rather than, you know, being highly targeted with a small set of the audience with maybe more of a rational message? Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I, it would be really uh, stupid to say creativity is not important. And there are a number of studies that are creative message, the creative itself is at least 50% of the um, overall media impact. And of course, it's hmm. it's very important uh, what you say, how you say it, what is the idea. And it, absolutely, creativity comes first. Uh, but then it's important how we deliver that, right? So... Um, with a good creative or with the average creative, uh, media can work as the enabler, as an enhancer or vice versa. So um, regardless of what is your creative, you still need to do a great job on media side. You still need to think how to deliver, what to deliver, so how, how long, how much, how frequent, um, to whom, uh, and how to optimize. And what is very important now, because we uh, used to think in this, um, you know, like in two parts, right? This is the creative, this is the media optimization. What go, what happening now? It's not any any longer like two separate things because 
with the data we have, with the uh, like real-time data, always data, on data, understanding how different, we talked about that um, earlier today, how different type of consumers, parts of your audience react, how do we consume your creative. You can learn and you can feedback uh, to creative side on uh, what should be improved and it's a lot of guidelines like creative guidelines we create now which are mainly driven by media data by media results by analyzing the media data other than just pure creativity or uh, you know uh, consumer focus groups etc so it's like really really joint now and of course all the uh, uh, technologies like dynamic creatives etc then, hmm. then we already have a main creative idea but using the dynamic creative tools we can change the specific uh, view of a specific creative which person sees depending on uh, the context depending on the uh, consumer audience etc so you and me we can see a different type of creative from the same brand although it will be uh, on this on, on the same ideally on the same uh, creative platform really interesting Last couple of questions before we get into our, our favorite questions at the end of the interview mm-hmm. that we ask everyone. So, you know, we've had a, a really deep conversation about our ability, our increased ability to target people at scale with a very specific message. How do you think about performance related contracts? Because we have all this data at our fingertips now, brands are increasingly asking agencies, hey, can you, if you can guarantee a certain level of results, well, shouldn't you be compensated based on sort of what you what you can outline? How do you respond to brands that ask for performance-related contracts? Yeah, so I think it's really a big topic by itself and probably more of a separate podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, of course, as you said, brands and um, they want... Uh, if they want this, this, this discussions in the of contract when the agency or their partner, not only the agencies, but all other partners, be um, responsible for, for, for part of the performance. And in the same time, equally, agencies really want to do the same because that makes the whole relationship between agency and client more transparent and also, you know, like more partnerships versus, um, versus just transactional. But again, intention is here, so but the devil is in the details. And usually we really have some issues when it comes to defining those specific parts of the contract and what is the, how we measure it and, and, and what is the part of the performance component of the, of the contract. So we talked about measurement, and this is actually the problem, right? Because uh, it all starts with defining the objective and the KPI, and this is really the key. So you don't want to put wrong KPI to your contract, which probably will go, um, which probably won't help you to drive your main objective. And um, as we said, most of the times your main objective is actually to drive growth, to drive revenue for your company. And uh, when we translate it to specific uh, KPIs for container for the agency, that could be the big, um, you know, like the big gap. So a good example of it is uh, ROI, right? So like ROI by itself sometimes could be really misleading KPI. So the channels, the, the techniques which, der- which uh, deliver the highest ROI, not necessarily, and in most cases, they are not the techniques which deliver the um, the biggest revenue or profitable revenue, etc. Mm. 
So, so that's that's the problem. So we need really, and that really requires the open discussions between client and the agency. So when we understand the uh, actual target, and then we try to translate it and find the closest proxy to the target, to this target which is still measurable, um, and. Um, and I think we all we all need to understand. We need to have we we have to share risks with our clients, and thus metrics such as total revenue or total e-com revenue should be part of the contract. Even though we can't influence as an agency, we can't influence this total revenue directly. Only part of it, only media part of it, right? But in the open relationships and open discussions with the client, we do need to share those risks with them. And that that is part of the contract. The total revenue, total um, e-commerce revenue, I think should be part of the contract, alongside with some more specific KPIs which agency can um, can deliver and we can measure, like quality metrics. Obviously, we want to only deliver and only buy the media to the, for the client, which is quality. It's all about viewability, brand safety, attention, which is a new um, type of measurement we are now in, in implementing. So some performance metrics. So the, just to summarize again, the performance-based contract is a combination of sharing the risks with the client when we are uh, including the total revenue, total revenue to contract, but also we have the specific media KPIs like media quality or media performance KPIs. You're right. I think that requires a separate podcast all by itself <laughs> just, to, just to finish it. Natalia, thank you for giving us such a wide and deep understanding of the media and performance landscape as we sit here at the back end of 2021. Just before we let you go, I can't let you go without asking some of our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests. So I'm going to pick some of these at random and fire them at you. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Um, I should have prepared for this question. Um, <laughs> so I can't remember any particular case right now, but I can give you an example when I felt like I failed for for a longer period of time. So it's probably a year or even more. Okay. So that was when I moved from my local market role. I was in Russia responsible for uh, Syria, so like Russia, Ukraine, and some other markets um, from post-Soviet Union area. And then I moved to regional role and global role eventually. And then and later I also changed the country. I moved to um, here to London to UK. Sure. So and I felt like uh, I'm not good, good enough. So these people here are much better, and I'm not like you know fitting. And I kind of uh, lo- losing my identity. And my mistake mm-hmm. was that I did try and uh, try too hard, and I probably overestimate the importance to uh, um, to adapt. You know to to, to get into to be like similar, which is not possible, right? I, I will never be the same the same as people who uh, are born and grew up here in the in the different culture, in the different mm. not even culture, but also industry developed sure. differently here or in my countries. So that was a mistake. And then uh, now uh, I think that uh, while it's still important, you know, of course, to to adapt to the to the environment, to the society, etc. But um, what is important also is you need to focus on what is your identity, what is your unique experience, and what you can bring to the table mm. uh, additionally, right? Because my experience is very different from um, experience of people who started their careers here sure. in London sure. and, and worked uh, in London. So that that was a mistake, and. Uh, uh, 
hopefully, hopefully I learned from that. And that would be my advice to anyone who probably also changing the careers to changing countries, like in the middle of their career. So you always have something to add. You always have something to complement uh, to, to, to what people have in this environment. I love that. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. You're right. Your experience is different to everyone else's that's sort of born and brought up here, but equally as valid as as theirs. And um, and that can't be mistaken. Yeah, and we can learn from each other rather than me Completely. trying to be the same, which is not possible. <laughs> love that. Thank you for sharing that one. More of a lighthearted one now. What are you watching on Netflix, Amazon, <laughs> Prime, Disney Plus? Or podcasts, what what things have been keeping you entertaining over? Yeah, I, I'm more I'm more a reader rather than uh, I I watch less. But ah, yeah, okay. I think it's that's my favorite question. <laughs> yeah, uh, on Netflix, uh, I, I, I I did like the Picky Blinders. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, it was also my you know like my way to pick up English better. So it's like it was so difficult <laughs> to understand. Yeah, it was so difficult to understand them in the, like right. in the first series, but then I, uh, I think I, <laughs> I got better in that. Um, that. Yeah, what else? I think I, I also just recently I watched um, uh, like scenes from a marriage from the, from a marriage by HBO. Okay. Really liked that one. Yeah. What are your favorite books? Fiction, <laughs> nonfiction, whatever. Uh, all of them. Uh, actually, yeah, I uh, I like reading, um, and uh, I'm sure like all you, you've got a lot of great um, uh, advices or books your guest mentioned sure. to you. So I'm yeah. not sure if I will be able to. Oh, add anything on that, but just just from a couple um, mm. from a different um, areas. So I do like uh, Victor Frankl, Yes to Life. I think mm. that's the book uh, which really influenced like the way uh, I, I look over like the way I put my goals in life uh, and the importance of uh, of the goal in your life. So I really recommend mm. if you haven't if someone haven't read, read that. Yes to life is Yes to Life is an amazing book by Victor Interesting. Because obviously his most famous one is um Man's Search for Meaning. Uh but I haven't heard of Yes Yes Yeah to Yes to Life is my favorite by far. And um re- just recently I read this great book um by um Alvary Smith, he is from Pixar. He was behind this uh, first um, Toy Stories and the book mm. called A Biography of a Pixel. Mm. And it's an amazing one because it's actually like it, it, in a book, he talks about Pixel and like like a person, right? And like a biography of a yeah. Pixel. And it shows how, like how our current world, digital world became as it is now. Um, not going to give you any spoilers, but I, I do really <laughs> recommend that book. Um, and the last one is probably more from a professional life. <laughs> um, the, I don't know if you heard of the book of why. No. Um, by uh, by Judy Pearl. So this is. It sounds a little bit mathematical, but it's actually not. So it's all about the science of cause effect. You know, as like since the years. All, um, all, uh, you know, econometricians, analytics in in marketing and industry, we all talk, say that correlation is not causation. Mm. But the book of why, the new science of cause uh, and effect, is actually talking about uh, how we can uh, how we can measure the causation effect. So with all new techniques, AI, etc. So it's really really interesting, and it's not uh, it's it's about mathematics, but it's it could be a uh, 
read by anyone that doesn't have musicians. Really interesting. Love those three recommendations all added to my Amazon reading <laughs> list. Thank you very much. Um, last couple of questions and I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their career in Mediacom? Mediacom or any media agency. Um, or any media agency. Yeah, so I'm not really good in advices, but I, I would say when you start, try to get involved to as many different um, uh, teams as possible and work across different clients and across different disciplines. The easiest and fastest way to do it is in the business, of course, because that gives you the idea of everything agency is doing and it will help you to understand where do you want to be, but also it will give you a very good background for future. Even if you decide to specialize in a certain area, knowing all other areas is very important and it will become even more important because what we do now is all about integration, it's all about how immediate call it system thinking. It's all about looking at all different parts of the system. It's not it's not it's no longer as it used to be, this is the planning, this is the strategy, this is the buying, this is the execution, mm-hmm. and this is the analytics now. So it's all about connecting all those systems. And that's why if you're starting with the agency, try to get yourself and try to get involved into each part of the uh, agency business. And my final question, Natalia, what do you know about performance media and helping your clients grow today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Uh, well, in the beginning of my career, as I mentioned, I started as TV buyer, so I didn't know about performance media at, at all. Uh, but so, so I wish I knew how important it would become the technology, the uh, analytics, how, how even more important it would become for our industry. So, I mean, not like I missed anything, but that was probably a little bit underestimated when I started. But in the same time, I also happy I didn't know how important the digital and technology become uh, now, because if I had knew that, I probably would just jump to digital from the beginning. (laughs) And I'm really happy that I spent some time with um, uh, non-digital channels, I sp- working with non-digital sp- channels, I spent some time working with strategy, planning, analytics, and it's really gives like the better view and more like, you know, like the big, seeing the bigger picture is very, very much important. Love that. Natalia, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much. We have been speaking with Natalia Chaban. She is currently Digital Director of Performance at Mediacom. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 150 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in media and advertising. Thank you for all of your suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathanagencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. Follow us on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Tyler Ballard is our booker. Krzysztof Buaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmaster. Thomas, really interesting interview there with Natalia from Mediacom. She said something that I'm sure is music to your ears, the fact that the industry is becoming more and more long-term focused, focusing on long-term brand building versus the short-term sales activation that a lot of businesses are kind of have been driven by in recent years. Talk about how you're working with your clients to make sure that 
we are balancing, and I think that's important, balancing short-term priorities with long-term brand building because that's where the gains really come from, isn't it? That long-term brand building. I absolutely think you're right, Nathan. Uh, and, and again, really, really interesting thoughts and comments and, and perspectives from uh, Natalia. Quite clear that she's capable in the digital field beyond what is needed. But, and, and it was really nice to hear the fact that her thoughts on, on the, the industry being more long-term focused. The fact that there is an understanding about that you need to balance, as you're saying, the, the, con- the short-term conversion game with the brand growth and brand positioning at the same time. And it's always a discussion and always a, a, not an issue in, in any way, but always a focus with talking with, with agencies and clients from, from our end. Because it's, it's always a, a, a matter of reaching the right audience. And when it comes to B2B, then the audience becomes very specific in, in uh, nine out of 10 cases. We're down to company, company level. The, the furthest we can go is to talk about industry uh, levels or verticals. But we are still down at, at the single company in the execution and the, and the measurement and the reporting. So it's, it's very much about having that in place, then having an understanding that you need to build the brand, you need to build the awareness, you need to be uh, positioned in the market in order to actually drive the growth in the other end. And, and having that, that understanding from, uh, from coming from the big media agencies and uh, media companies probably the biggest of them all. So it, it's really nice to have this clear understanding and, and knowledge about that brand growth equals growth. It's not opposite directions to go. It's not about, well, we cannot do conversions with, with brand. It's the brands that, that grows the conversions. And if you really need to grow, you need to require, it, it, it requires new customers uh, as we go along. So it's not only about fishing in the same waters every single day and, and trying to, to pick up the, the, the right, the same companies and clients, you need to grow uh, your, your market. You need to grow your position. And in, in that way, I feel confident that we will see a broader understanding in the market when agencies like Mediacom is talking about brand growth equals financial growth, because it makes it easier to, to, to have discussions with brands about the necessity of doing positioning. And actually, I had one comment from an EMEA's CMO some time ago in the IT industry, also just mentioning that, well, I would not expect any company to buy from me if they don't don't know of me. So it's about having this discussion about, yes, we need precision. Yes, we need growth. Yes, Yes, we need to focus on conversions, SQLs, MQLs, whatever it's called, uh, in in the market, but but it's about presenting the company, presenting the products and services, and then if we could do it as targeted as possible from the beginning, then I think that we are onto something, mm. and and this is where we step in and and assist the uh, the agencies and the clients while bringing this B two B focus uh, where they have had this uh, analysis and have this understanding about who's the audience, where to focus. And when that is clear, then then it's easier for, for everybody to define and say, well, it's this industry, it's this vertical, it's these companies. This is the list. Or ask us, can you build help, help us building that list? And then we'll do that. And then we can target the companies 
from the beginning with a more, more clear position. But still, the brand dimension is still important because even though we're talking to, targeting the right companies, if they are not known or if there is no inter- interaction or engagement prior to the campaigns, then we need to start more funnel. We need to start telling the story, building the brand, creating the positioning, and then they can they can call down the uh, the, uh, the the funnel. We can move down the funnel. And of course, if we're talking to existing clients, then it's possible to do much more hard-on sales communication where we know that, okay, they know about the, the, the client or the brand. They know about the services and product. And then we can focus on the conversions. But in most cases, what we do account-based advertising is, in general, more off-funnel. It, it is more supporting activities to other uh, more low-funnel low activities like social, telemarketing, uh, email marketing, uh, sales, uh, physical sales as well, uh, but helping the fact, helping with the fact that that we can uh, start with creating the audience and then making the position and showing the right uh, information from the beginning, that of course helps. You're totally right. Brand building makes everything else you that you're trying to do in, in your business that much easier. Uh, retention, acquisition. Um, it drives down cost per acquisition. There are so many business metrics that are Im- impacted and improved by building that brand and by targeting them later after you've established that story and, and, and that positioning. It makes everything after that so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. It's just as much after uh, because you need, you need to build a brand. And then it's also, then some companies are, or some uh, marketing departments are sometimes missing, missing out on that and believe that, well, we have already build the brand, we have position our brand, then we don't, can can skip that part and then focus entirely on, on conversions and, and hardcore sales. And then you need to sometimes look at the market and say, well, the biggest brands we, we know about, are they only talking about or, or, or presenting low funnel communication and, and short-term sales messages? And they're not. They keep on bringing the, the, the brand message to the market at a level where sometimes they are always outspending everybody else at the same time, but it just helps at the other end. So I'm, I'm totally in agreement with uh, Natalia that brand growth equals financial growth. And that was just a pleasure to, to hear her uh, state that so clearly. 